welcome back to another edition of No See Feel the Market, show number 11. I'm Patrick, your host for this week, and let me introduce you to my two market assassins. First, we have the silver man himself, Max, and straight from Hawaii, we have Everson, the only guy I know that can manage 50 different stocks and still <laughs> tell us about new, obscure ones every week. Hey, so Max get... used to do it. Max did more than I did. <laughs> so before we get started, let me just give everyone uh, the usual disclaimer that we're not your financial advisors. And this show is only for entertainment purposes. So all investments have a degree of risk. So never invest more than what you're willing to lose and always consult your licensed professionals. So before we get started, um, we're going to talk about two amazing topics today. Mostly, first, the big pump and dump on VectorYQ Nicola. And then we'll have a talk about uh, good old Warren Buffett and if he's still relevant in today's market. But before I get into that, I'd just like to start with Max, uh, get us started about what you saw this week. And I know that our silver men crushed it this week uh, since silver popped to 1551. So Max, what did you see this week and how did you do? Uh, this week, uh, you can see that the, the SPY, the whole market, is just sort of in this uh, sideways channel. But we talked a little bit about it last, uh, last weekend, last episode. We talked about 10% increase in inflation, consumer goods. And you can see that the, uh, the invest, uh, investors actually responded to that going right into silver and gold to protect themselves against that inflation. Um, so silver definitely popped. And you're seeing, I think it's going to keep going up uh, for a while. Maybe it'll retrace a couple of times. But uh, anytime you hear these big numbers, 10% inflation, I mean, that's unheard of. You know, just to put it clear, we put $2 trillion into the market. That's 10% increase in inflation. We're about to put another $3 trillion, probably. We'll see where it goes from there. So you can see a lot of investors trying to protect themselves uh, with the silver and gold. So, and how did I, I do? Uh, yeah. Well, basically, like Everson texted me during the week, basically just listening to classical music and collecting my theta. <laughs> so I collected two premiums on silver. Like, how did you do, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, I, to be honest, I, I'm not doing as well as I did with uh, U.S. oil, just because U.S. oil was allowing me to basically pick up 56 cents twice a week, you know, double rent. Uh, so I'm not picking up double rents here with silver. Uh, I didn't do as well as I should have this week. I was a little bit more aggressive than I should have, but uh, you know, still producing money and recalibrating for next week to try to maximize a little bit. So last week, you know, didn't make as much as I was supposed to. Didn't make as much as the past couple of weeks, but uh, I'll uh, cal recalibrate and I'll be fine. All right. Well, so far, silver has been pretty easy money. It's very relaxing and soothing after the wild ride that was USO. What about you, Everson? How have you been doing? Good. I did silver and gold also. Um, no. Want to be on a silver been... train too? I, I've always been, you know, I I think for all of us, or at least for Max, well, Max will always be in silver, so he, he kind of stays uh, pretty consistent with that. But I follow the trends. And so, you know, I, I've seen an opportunity to get into silver and gold, and that's what I did. I got into a couple of ETFs for silver and gold and doing pretty well with that. I, I think the trend continues. I mean, 
you know, like Max is saying, you got the inflationary that's that's affecting everything, and it was, and we're looking at potentially bringing another three thousand or three trillion dollars in in debt. Um, you know, other sectors that I hear as a topic of conversation was uh, uh, not sectors, but uh, parts of stocks. I think the dividend is being affected also. So when I look at especially your RITs, where they're charging, where they're paying out high dividends, what makes us think that that's affordable? But then again, you, you get companies like, you get some companies that are offering uh, astronomical, uh, you know, the FDIC worth dividends. Um, I don't know how you could pay that out, to be honest. I mean, you're not getting a lot of investors for it. There's businesses is, is barely even moving. Even if we started up the economy, how does that even, how does it even play out? Like, how does that even make sense? I don't know, but silver and gold, um, nonetheless, energy sector, I got out of the energy sector, not to say that it can't pop again, the technology sector, I got out of the technology sector for now um, also, but uh, I sold out on that. Uh, so right now, I guess I'm just strong with commodities. Uh, just interested in seeing where it was going. But how did you do? Well, so what's interesting is this week, I you were just talking about how you took profit out of some companies. Um, this week, one of the big investors on CNBC said that Right now, it's pretty much like the most expensive stocks have been since the tech bubble in 1999. Uh, our stocks are very overpriced based on the current condition of the economy and all of the uncertainty. So, yeah, I mean, I think that you're doing it's a good thing that you took some profit out. Uh, one thing I want to ask you guys about is um, so silver is popping a little bit, but gold isn't getting that much higher. It's still under 164. What do you guys make of that? So that ratio between gold and silver that's been stable for, what, 4,000 years, uh, we are actually at the extreme of one. I think uh, it was $120 of silver to buy, or 120 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold. Uh, so we've retraced from that point, but we are still way overvaluing gold in terms of silver and so now we're seeing silver catch up a little bit which you know is overdue and i think uh, that ratio will get smaller and smaller over time so even if gold keeps going up silver will uh, go up faster than gold just to make up for that ratio difference mm. yeah it makes sense so i'm still personally i'm still looking for uh, gold to stay under 164 uh, so far i haven't had to adjust but we'll oh, see I this week. You said 170. You no, I'm, it down. no, I'm at 170. But if it goes above 164, which we said was the resistance, then I'll have to maybe adjust. But yeah, this week was really good for me, honestly, um, in part because of one of the topics we're going to talk about today. I did a play on Vector IQ. Uh, for once, this time I was on the right side of the pump and dump. You know, I wasn't the one holding the bag, so that was good. Uh, so I'm in a decent amount of money with that. And after that, yeah, I did a few trades that were pretty good. Uh, one of the dividend stocks that actually Everson recommended a while ago uh, did pretty well this week since they announced that they're 
keeping their dividend. So yeah, did pretty well. Uh, in the market, I haven't seen anything really spectacular. As Max said, I mean, it's basically sideways. We saw a little bit of a downturn early on in the week, but nothing like earth shattering like a few months ago. So I mean, yeah, I made a big valuation on um, on the food sector. I mean, it's it's your precious commodities that I think do really well in in this type of economy. So, I mean, I know I did a trade on UNFI, and it you know it was popping like forty percent in a day. So wow. I think two days. Maybe, you know, take the time look at the stock in a few days. Not to say that it's going to go up from here. Um, there's a lot of anytime you get that kind of valuation or a stock pops 40%, 50%, 60%, a lot of it is in the pharmaceutical sectors. If you really don't have a level of understanding, right on cue. I told you guys that we're market assassins, another one bites the dust. <laughs> but so, like, when you, when you see valuation, stock pops like that, uh, you know, you you really got to be vigilant as to knowing the fundamentals, knowing the news, knowing uh, knowing the charts before you see before you know that okay, this is a safe time for me to get in. This is a safe time for me to get out. Uh, I I'll show you I, I'll show you one stock that you can take a look at. That uh, on Friday it took off 158 percent. The stock is is S R N E therapeutics does it go for higher from here i think it drops but would you know that i don't know i mean it's up over the year 81 percent in three months it's up 163 percent 150 in the one month 160 in the one week so literally it just did a pop for for just a short period of time but that's your that's your pharmaceutical companies for you. I mean, pharmaceuticals do that, but it's a trade, right? So, I mean, that's the exciting part. You want to see you want to see the you want to see the returns of a thousand percent. You want to see the guts and glory, and that's that's the guts and glory. I think is is with those fast trades, but knowing when to get in and out of it, it's uh, it, it's dependent upon individuals i wouldn't treat this as an investment i treat that as a trade but what what did i say last week the delta traders man they're the ones that drive the lamborghinis and make the big bucks (laughs) i heard from um this is off subject but i heard from ksi uh he's a popular singer in europe uh ksi says that he hates lamborghinis like he said they don't drive well they they just they're horrible cars to have so he sold his lamborghini <laughs> I don't care for uh, like fancy sports cars myself. Like, I don't like them. But anyway, this uh, is a good opportunity to get into our segment. Um, so this week was really interesting. Late last week, I heard about this stock called Vecto IQ, which mm. on the stock market is VTQI. And I actually told the guys about it. Uh, at the time, it was twenty bucks. And there was a massive, massive spike on it. But what's interesting about it is that it's not based on any sound fundamental news that came out this week or anything. It's a stock that's been there for a few months now. 
just waiting for next month for to merge into Nikola, which is supposed to be competing somewhat with Tesla, but in the semi-truck market. And when I heard about this stock, I looked into it, and the technology seems promising. It's very interesting. But the stock shouldn't be valued at where it is now. Um, but what I did is I actually uh, bought a call on it. And two days later, because every day it was gapping up by like three, four bucks. And it went as high as $34. So I managed to double my money with that in two days. And then I managed to get out of it before it started falling. But what, what I found to of note about it is that like this to me was a classic pump and dump uh, event. Like nothing really happened that promoted that stock to go up this quickly. Like the value didn't change in five days to make it go from 15 bucks to 34. And this one, this made me want to ask Everson, since he's investing in a lot of stocks that have those gap ups like that, like how do you determine what's a pump and dump versus what's just a really fast growth stocks or something that had an event that made it really pop overnight? So your pump and dumps usually, you know, we had one stock, I don't know if we talked about it on air, but we definitely, uh, pulled aside later and sort of talked about, uh, I think it was Liberty TripAdvisor. Uh, and I, I forget whether it'd be A or B, but I think it was the, I think it was the B, not the A. Uh, I think it was B, yeah. It was B, yeah. So um, I don't know whether that was the common share or not. I, I don't think that that was the common share, but we saw huge price action on it. Uh, it popping all the way to was it close to a thousand percent? It was like nine hundred percent. It popped. Yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. And so uh, it went from four ninety nine to one hundred and thirty four. Yeah, so that was way back. That was a couple of maybe about two months ago, perhaps. We're still fresh in, into the into what's happening with this recession and everything, and what was happening with the virus. So when I look at it, and I look at valuation, that's like that. Uh, I'm, I'm usually hesitant. I want to know what's happening. A lot of the inside moves that happen on pump and dumps, you probably wouldn't, by the, t by the time that you know about it, if you hadn't gotten in already, then the opportunity is already passed. Uh, oftentimes, penny stocks do pump and dumps. And you can find this out by knowing who started the company um, or who is initiating the uh, IPO for the company. And Naturally, what I've seen in the market, and even Tim Sykes would tell you this, is the Chinese companies, when they come into the market as an IPO, naturally, just starting fresh off the IPO, they're retrofitted to become a pump and dump. Um, so they're taking a lot of assets initially, and then maybe as they build themselves into the to the American market, um, then and they get more realistic valuation, fundamental valuation and everything. But uh, I would be a little hesitant. I'd be a little careful about that because I, I hear that there's a big plan in place for uh, like Wisdom Tree is one compiled ETFs uh, that's based out of China. 
China is wanting to get into the U.S. market, which is really dangerous because, uh, you know, for obvious reasons, um, you don't want another foreign entity taking control of your, your stock market. So there needs to be a little bit of regulation as to how much foreign interference can get into our stock market, I think. Um, and we kind of need to centralize our, our asset base within the stock market. So I would really play statistics. I would really play fundamentals. I'd really play the news to be able to get that mindset, whether this be a pump and dump or whether this be something for the long term. And then also seek advice from, you know, people like Max, where you look at the charts, you get the, a, a good uh, price action for the charts. <laughs> and then also, you know, reach out to ask questions to us, you know, reach out to someone like myself for the fundamental view or someone like uh, like you, Patrick, for that, for the news, the insight. So, yeah, so that's what, what I, I heard about, about that. when I heard about this talk, I looked at it and. I'm intrigued by it. I think that it has potential, poten uh, well, eventually. Patrick, let me yeah. let me ask, how did you hear about it? Because that could be part of the pump. It, well, exactly. That's what I was getting into, is that I heard about it from a YouTuber that has a lot of subscribers. And my thinking was, okay, well, if I get in now, as more and more of the people, you know, it's like a snowball, right? As the snowball grows, new people are going to hear about it especially when you get into forums and stuff where there's like this uh, frenzy, right? You could, you could feel the frenzy around the stock based on nothing, which led me to believe that it was just a pump and dump. But I was like, yeah. okay, well, who's going to be left holding the bag? I didn't want it to be me. So that's why I took <laughs> profit as soon as I could. You know, I set my order at a certain level, which I was comfortable at. And even if it went a little bit higher, I didn't want to be the one holding the bag at the end. But that's how I I noticed it, is that one YouTuber started talking about it. Another YouTuber with a few hundred thousand subscribers started talking about it. And there was this frenzy about it where um, it, it started, there, there was a disconnect between where the company is at now and where you think it's going to be. Like the merger meeting where they're going to vote on if it goes through or not is in early June. Well, they were expecting the company to merge at a valuation of about 3.3 billion. And based on this number where the stock was now at $34, it gave them a valuation of 10 billion, saying that people were uh, boasting it, saying that it would it was going to compete with Tesla and everything. Well, even Tesla, it took years for it to start doing anything as a stock and this company won't even launch your products before 2021 like they haven't created one truck um so I mean, it's pretty it's pretty crazy like i say that the market is a little bit of a clownery sometimes it, it's not serious it's complete manipulation well so there's a niche in the market for electrical vehicles and so there are a lot of investors that are trying to find the future of electro, uh, electrical vehicles. And so you saw the same thing with NIO yeah. when it was on 60 minutes. It popped all the way to 10, 11 bucks and then came back down. People are looking for that stock because they don't truly. I mean, and, you know, that's why there's that fan base for Tesla. But the investors that are looking at the fundamentals, they're like, well, we want a company like Tesla, but we actually want a business that's well run instead of just being a fan club. 
don't get me wrong, the technology for Tesla is amazing and they're pushing boundaries, but as a business, they're not a good company. And so, like I'm saying, there's a niche. These investors are looking for the greatest electrical vehicle company to come out. It's not out yet. They thought it was NIO. They probably thought this Vector IQ was the next thing. Uh, it's not out yet. I don't think it is. And I don't think it's going to be Tesla. Tesla is going to push the boundaries, but Pioneer and don't pay. Yeah. So what do you think about it? Do you think like me? Basically, my opinion is that the company has promise. I'm keeping it in my, uh, I know you don't like speculative stocks, but I'm keeping it on my watch list. I'll keep monitoring it. Once the merger goes through, once they make progress on their construction of their plant in Phoenix, you know, once the ball starts rolling, then I'm going to look into it and see if indeed they can actually eventually compete. Because they're talking about building infrastructure where they need to put uh, hydrogen, you know, refueling stations and all sorts of stuff like that. That's going to take billions of dollars to build infrastructure. So we're not there yet. So the verdict on Vecto IQ from both of you? Um, I I think that, that that area is just way too saturated. I wouldn't get involved. And on my end, uh, you know, I just think it's uh, it's that niche. Like I'm saying, people are looking for that company uh, that's going to take the whole sector. And uh, I don't think this is it. But if you do want to speculate, do some Delta trades, I would actually buy my calls before the merger. Uh, you know, have a nice little one or two, three per percent. And just make sure you cut off your wings by selling some calls. And, uh, you know, see what happens during the merger, because that's where the money's going to change hands. Uh, if it doesn't go in your favor, you just risk, you know, a small portion of your portfolio. If it does exactly what, you know, Patrick's predicting it might happen, you know what? You might have made a couple of uh, couple of bucks there. So just look at your risk reward and make sure you cut off the wing so it reduces your uh, entry fee and make some good money that way. Yeah, that's good advice because it's the type of stock that can either make you 10, 100%, uh, sorry, like 10x or 100x or zero. So don't risk all of your money into it. So it's let's just, just too speculative when you have a blank check. I mean, it's a blank check company. <laughs> well, now I the mean, founder, the founder, which has no experience running a major company like that, is now a billionaire. I thought that was interesting. Are you uh, talking about Milton, Trevor Milton? Yeah, I was joking with Max. That just proves that sales is the number one skill you can develop. Because if you can build a company that has nothing really show for it yet and be a billionaire, sign me up for that. But anyway, speaking of billionaires, our favorite billionaire, Warren Buffett, um, I just wanted to talk about him a little bit because we all agree that he's probably the best stock market investor so far in history. But in the past decade, I mean, his performance hasn't been stellar. So, you know, we always hear about him still now in 2020. He had his big, big business meeting uh, two weeks ago, I believe. You know, everyone every year always looks forward to what he has to say. But what do you guys think? Like, is he still relevant in 2020? Like, what can we learn from him at this point? He's a good risk manager. I think he's a good good risk risk manager. And as far as sorry for the adjustment of the camera, <laughs> uh, I I think that as far as an investor and being relevant and current moving forward, 
sure. I mean, he's going to be in a platform when you got when you got that much billions of dollars to throw around. Um, so he's going to still be there. As far as his accuracy on trades, maybe there's a little bit of complacency kicking in. Um, you know, thinking, I don't know what he's thinking. Uh, he's always not been good at at direction as far as change. So maybe maybe he does look at the charts and everything. I'm sure that even if you're a fundamental, because as we all know it, uh, you know, Warren Buffett, he's a fundamental guy. He's not very much of a chart guy. Um, and he's sort of old-fashioned and everything. So he does restrict himself from technology. He does restrict himself from a lot of detail that you could get a lot easier moving forward. Um, so I, I don't think he sees the big picture anymore, um, especially with the changes that's going on in the industry. I just, just don't think that he's, I, I think he's becoming irrelevant, but you can never lose the fundamentals of, of the market, especially if you had that much money, you just, you, you're going to go forward. But, you know, like you were saying, um, Patrick, it gets to a point where, you know, you're not even meeting expectations if S&P 500 is doing better than you. Yeah, so just to set the context for viewers and listeners, um, in the past 10 years, his company, Berkshire Hathaway, has lagged the S&P 500. So basically, they haven't beat the ETF. Uh, So also, what's interesting is some of their acquisitions, like Kraft Heinz, hasn't been working that well. And then he made the bid on the uh, the airlines uh, industry, which... I talked about it a few episodes ago when I said that since he invested in it, I was going to keep an eye on it. And my thinking about it is that, and I know a lot of investors did that too. My thinking is that when you have a big investor like that backing a stock, it's a good sign because you know that there's big money that's going to put a backstop to it. Uh, That was my thinking about it. And I know a lot of investors have been looking at it, but now that he pulled out and I mean, they took a pretty good, loss on it because the stock when they bought it was in the mid 40s and he sold in the low 20s so you know did they they lose their touch i mean they're sitting on 137 billion they haven't been any making any big trades max what do you think i think that and ever since so he thought that he could make a money and he he thought he could make money off of it and i mean patrick you and i had horse sense on it look i mean he's always going to get too early just because of how much money he's dealing with but over the course of the stock market history there's always been you know this one market guru you know for a decade or so maybe it's usually a lot lot less than that but they are in perfect sync with the market and they make the most money uh what's interesting is as soon as the market changes a little bit these market gurus are done they cannot make a penny in the stock market just because what worked before doesn't work today. Now, the reason why I talked about the gurus is because Warren Buffett is not a guru. He's actually looking at, uh, looking at the stock market as an investment. And he's looking at it way longer yeah. than anybody else is. He's looking at Coke and he's saying, okay, what is Coke going to look like in 50 years? He's not looking at it you know, in a year from now. And right. so to call him irrelevant, uh, I think that's, that's premature. So just because he didn't, you know, exceed what the stock market has done in the stock in the past 10 years, he still made money. 
And the thing is, well, he, he's making he's an more investor. money. He's not a trader. Right. And the thing is, he's making money off of all of our money. Why? Because he's in the insurance company. So he gets paid before anything happens, takes that money and puts it in the stock market and makes a return on it, either through capital gains or dividend play. So I just think it's way too premature to say that he's irrelevant. He is very good investor and he's using right. other people's money to make money. And, you know, you just can't understate that. He is very good, very smart. And his entire machine from the first dollar that gets into his hand and how he increases it, multiplies it, it's immaculate. It's perfect. But the latest bets that they've done have been inaccurate. We agree on that. Yeah, but that's short term. Okay, that's so if you're, seeing long term, if you're seeing long term, 50 years from now, why did he pull out of the airlines already? Because it needs to stabilize. You know, he was, I was actually thinking the same way as uh, Warren Buffett. I was like, what? You know what? The economy is going to get back on its feet. You know, this virus is going to kick, get kicked out and we're going to move forward. Well, that didn't happen. He bailed out. He said, you know what? I believed was going to happen didn't. He got out. And that's, exact, that's a great lesson for people at home that are trading. When you are going into a position and you've practiced all your rehearsals for, you know, if it goes up, sideways or down you know if it's for you or against you if something doesn't happen exactly the way you had projected it get out you know what you thought what you visualized in the market is not happening you're not in sync with it time to get out or make an adjustment and that's what warren buffett did the only difference is he's making it through the news so everybody knows his mistake so instead of losing more money and and staying into an unstable market he's out What's interesting is now he's reallocating some of the funds that he has in the financial sector, uh, uh, going from a couple of banks now to one bank, uh, which is really interesting. I think it's too premature to go in financials right now because they're going to get a delayed hit from this coronavirus. Uh, they haven't been hit that hard yet, but I tell you what, a couple of months, they're going to get hit pretty hard. So I, I just think it's too early to get in financials, um, but that's my point. Well, let's get into well, that you, real quick. Why do you why do you believe that? Since the government has basically said that they were going to spend any amount of money, and have even created special purpose entities to buy debt, to buy uh, MBS, and all that stuff. I just wanted to touch base real quick before you move on to the financial topic. Sure. Uh, you know, just going over what we both were talking about and what Max was last saying. So, it, the question was Patrick asked whether Warren Buffett was relevant or not. I, I, you know, just to go back on it, not that he's not relevant for the future, but he's not relevant in these markets. And he's never, he's never made a good trade when it came, he's never made a good investment when it came to trade because trade, you need to be in and, in and out. I mean, we started off the show as assassins to speak about being an assassin. A trader gets in and out. The trader doesn't stay in the market like he, he's comfortable with. Staying in the market, sitting on good dividend, it doesn't work that way. It's just in, in a highly volatile market, you don't stay in it, you get out. And so that's the, I, I think that's where we're at right now. And with the speculation, as high as it is, either you're buying time like Max is or you're trading like I am, you're not staying in the market. And also, I mean... In 2008, to that recession, he uses money to bail out some companies, and that's how he got really good deals. 
But this time around, instead of having, I mean, he actually talked about that, so it's not a secret. Instead of going to him, for, he started getting some calls from companies that were shaken by the, uh, the new recession. But then the government came in and said, oh, we're going to inject trillions of dollars in the market. Everyone's liquid now. Just buy whatever. So <laughs> he wasn't able to be that savior this time around. I'm, I'm sure that he could if he wanted to, but he just spent it all on, on his losses with the airline. So. Yeah, he said that the companies were able to get, uh, what would we say, terms that his company wouldn't be able to give them. Uh, more favorable terms from, you know, the government injecting money into sure. the economy. He's probably he's probably trying to collect on high premium. High, yeah, high so high so I think he got blindsided by that. And, but Max came up with a really really good lesson that we can still learn from him. But my opinion is that even though we all love him, he's the miracle of Homa. He's a little less relevant now than he was 10, 15 years ago, personally, I think. But it yeah, depends, Max, why don't it you... It depends what your trading style is. Why don't you get into the... Right. Why don't you get right. into the financial institutions? Like, why do you see them to be shaky? So we're getting more and more unemployment. And the longer we're staying... Uh, the, the worse this crisis is lasting, uh, the less it's a sure thing that people will get their jobs back. Right. So the longer this crisis stays, the the lower that percentage will be of people, you know, not just being temporarily furloughed, but actually being fired. Uh, so I said that, you know, numbers between 70 and 80 percent of all employment that was being recorded would come back very quickly. But as time goes by and we're not reopening the country and we still have that virus going around, that number decreases just because companies are now making decisions that are saying, hey, you know what? We're gonna actually fire these 500 uh, employees just because I don't think our number is gonna reflect that. And so that's why that one investor that said the market was overvalued, he's absolutely correct. I mean, we are almost at the same height that we were before the coronavirus, but the earnings are a lot lower. Yeah. So you're talking about the same price as before, almost the same price, a small discount, but the earnings are way lower just because of you know, how the market's being affected. So I, I see his point that the market's overvalued right now. And if you're looking at getting a good discount on a stock, now is not a good time. But um, what I was leading to is that this is just unprecedented times. So we that's why Warren Buffett's like, hey, I thought something was going to happen. I got in. It didn't happen. I'm out. I'm just going to try to see what's going to happen. And so going to the financials, you're going to see repercussions of people not getting a job as quickly as they, they thought they would. There's a long line on the website to collect unemployment. People are waiting, you know, two, three weeks before they get their first check. In fact, I think the, uh, was it, mayor or governor of uh, Florida blamed the unemployees, uh, uh, employees that lost their job for the crash of their website. I mean, we're getting really high in these numbers and I thought this crisis would be over a lot quicker than it is, but the people that are going to get hit a lot are, will be the financial sector, and they're not going to get bailed out as much as they think they will. Just to tell you this this $3 trillion stimulus that we just talked about that the Dem Democrats are pushing forward, uh, Trump said that he was willing to, to let it go by and agree with it, but Republicans are playing hardball. Yeah, so, so that $3 trillion might actually get right trimmed down 
Uh, so any new stimulus will actually have to uh, to be perfect in order to pass through. And some of that money is not going to make it to the financial sector. So my opinion, uh, it's way too early to get into the financial sector, even though it's uh, it just showed a bullish engulfing pattern on the charts, which is, you know, a bullish pattern. Um, I'd rather go into something more like uh, uh, energy and, and tech. If you're looking for something to go up, get into energy and tech for the long haul. That's a pretty good play right there. You don't yeah. think that... You don't Go think ahead. that uh, they're going to play it off with the energy sector and give some some instability? I mean, do you think that Saudi Arabia is then playing games? They're always playing games. Absolutely. I but, just think uh, that it's such a big coincidence that OPEC decides to do... Well, you know that China and Arab countries, they train every year militarily. I just... I just find that a pretty big coincidence that it happens where the coronavirus uh, pandemic happens right around the time that OPEC decides to just flood the market with oil. Just, I mean, what a big coincidence. You're right. The coincidence. How does it happen that way? Oh, we had a press by two sides. But what I think is even more interesting to me is, you know, the Iranian commander getting taken out. And so I, I guess... Let's let's go. Let, I'm getting carried away. Let's go back to the finances. <laughs> so, understanding that, I, I think is to understand the subsectors that's happening in and around the environment. So, I mentioned some. I, I mentioned a few points that was interesting to me, which kind of plots more or less like a conspiracy. But how does how does those sectors affect other sectors? These subsectors, when you when you understand what's going on, you understand where the manipulation might be. You understand how it's effective and it plays a part in other sectors. For instance, like we were talking about back in 2008 with the, with the um, financial bubble and the mortgage bubbles. When they started to, uh, you know, obviously different terms, different situation when it happened back in 2008. These are different terms in a different situation as well. So we look at the stability in the markets, but how this is different with the financial sector in the past? Well, I think that our financial institutions, although they're having less in revenue growth, they're making good on earnings, but they're changing, they're adapting, they're growing, they're staying, they're staying ahead of, of the trend. Something that, uh, like you know, Warren Buffett makes a mistake, he tries to stay ahead of his trend of investing, I think that the financial institutions are thinking more like traders and they're jumping into it. If we take a look at the 10-year treasury note, it's up 3.39% on a, on a day. Uh, that's the indexes, the uh, Kobe 10-year uh, treasury note, just all of the bonds in general. I think that they're, they're, they're being smart about it and they're flooding the, the bond markets to have that stability. It's low growth, but it's like max, you know, you're making profitability on something small, but you're making profitability. So they're sustaining themselves, which why my voter confidence would be for the financial sector. I think that they're doing the right things to position themselves correctly. Another area you could look is the Russell 2000 index. Um, you know, they, they've positioned themselves correctly. And I think that 
they're not going to let themselves go back to 2008 standards that they're going to they're going to persevere um, that they're going to innovate themselves and maybe even get into the bitcoin market i see a lot of them getting into the bitcoin market we well, saw some fluctuation in that, that even if they're if, even if they have better rules procedures on how to to lend money uh, i still think there's they're going to get affected by things that you can't really predict i mean this whole economy right now was unpredictable right I mean, absolutely no one predicted this but... was going to happen but with the government now buying bonds, ETFs, and printing unlimited money, that doesn't give you any confidence? No. Like they literally said that they were going to do anything necessary to keep the economy going. Uh, and that, that, and that involves nothing. That involves, well, it's not just words now. They actually started buying bonds and ETFs right. and you know, injecting massive liquidity in the market. So it's not like in 2008. That's why midterm, I have much confidence in the actual banks. I don't think they're in any trouble right now. But I do know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, is there going to be more defaults? Probably. But I, I think mean, they're in a the, much better situation than they were before. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I agree with you, Patrick. Like, I, I think that the financial sector is OK. They're not perfect. They're not. No one's bulletproof in a market like this. Um, do you see some some downward trend from here? Sure, I I see some downward trend happening. But as far as 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 long as we have these stimulus checks coming in, it it some people mo most people are scared. So you know, a couple episodes back, I think it was on episode number eight or something, or maybe it was episode uh, number nine. Uh, we talked about whether to stay in cash or not. Max had said that uh, cash is not a position. Uh, I feel otherwise. I think cash is a position. Um, and I think that's where people are. People are in cash. And they stay in cash because they're speculative. They're not sure whether they want to be in the market or not. When they have a certainty on trade, uh, then, they, then they take their cash position and then they get into the market. Um, I, I'm a firm believer of that, staying in cash until you see opportunity. Um, but you know, in a market like this, don't go all the way. Just you, you gotta you gotta keep a safe haven, and I think that's what banks have done is they they kept positions in, in a safe area. That's why they're not releasing so many loans as as they you know are the corona the coronavirus loan, which is what a lot of institutions that I've seen in, in recent days have done. It's a good rate. It's like a zero percent rate. I mean, why wouldn't yeah. you take advantage of that opportunity? <laughs> Personally, so let's just, why wouldn't you? Let's just get on with the stimulus check, cause my, uh, not check, but yeah, the new stimulus that package. Next? That. No, I I was gonna explain the whole theory as why financial is not a good play right now, but uh, go ahead, Patrick. Well, I don't know if we have time for that today, but. Um, yeah, let's just move on with the stimulus that you were talking about. So it was, has it been passed in the Congress yet? No. Uh, I, They're so, going to wait over the weekend. So it's hit the uh, Republican, uh, so Republicans own the House? No, they own the no. Senate. Senate. So they, they already said that it was dead on arrival in the Senate. Yeah. But it's going to be interesting if they manage to tweak something. I mean, Mitch McConnell is always, you know, the mindset that we need to wait more and see how things develop. 
But if it does go through, I mean, I think that adding another $3 trillion on top of what we're already spending, how can you not have massive inflation? I mean, at some point, it's too much. That's my opinion. Yeah, that's why I'm not for it, really. I mean, I'd be for it, but then again, I'm not really for it. Right, maybe That's they need to one. patch some holes, but geez, three another three trillion dollars in giving See, everyone money. That's that's the problem. That it's too much money. You know, it's gonna create more massive inflation. The problem is it's needed. People are at home having no work. They've tried to actually leave their job and find something else and they can't do it right now. They yeah. need help. And so the reason why I was saying there's a lot of exposure to banks is because they're going to take the, the hit when people can't pay their mortgage. But more importantly, they have a lot of exposure to corporate real estate. And yeah. those retail companies are actually going to fold first. And the banks are highly leveraged because everyone thought mortar, uh, brick and mortar would be here forever. You know, and now you're seeing Macy's, you're seeing JCPenney. I think they're filing for bankruptcy. Yeah. There's a lot of exposure that banks are not happy about right now. Right. No, I mean, and I, but I think that's a short term. I mean, the federal government does not want that, you know, that, that type of fluctuation to happen where we go back into a state of recession or we're already, I mean, we're already past recession in a state of depression. I don't think we want to go into a state of depression. I don't think any, I don't think anyone uh, that runs the country would want that. Uh, it just wouldn't look good for, for any election. So, I mean, why would you want that to happen? You know, it'd be stupid. <laughs> so what do you guys see happening this week? What should we look forward to? Max, anything in the charts that we can look for this week? Uh, I think uh, we're going to go back up in that uh, little sideways channel that we're in in the total market. But if you're looking for a play up, then make sure you stick with energy sector and um, the tech. If you're gonna do, if you're gonna buy some puts or you you want to sell some calls, I would suggest going into the um, utilities and the industrial sector uh, because I think uh, those two sectors will go down. So it depends which direction you like to play. If you like to do uh, puts or calls, if you're a bear or bull, it's up to you. What about you, Everson? I think the commodity sector. I agree. I agree with. Uh, what we were talking about, uh, Max and I earlier. So kind of the same sectors. I like tech. I like commodities. Um, I like energy, uh, but I like energy on a pullback. I, I think that uh, it's kind of pulled back a little bit, but it may pull back again before starting um, new highs. Uh, but I'm, I'm strong in those sectors moving forward. Yeah, I'm invested a little bit in XLE, which is one of the energy se sector ETFs. It's been pretty stable. It hasn't really gone up or down the past few weeks, but we'll see what happens. So that's basically all the time we have today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I mean, I found a lot of value in it. I hope you did too. I mean, we're always really excited if you guys want to leave feedback or ask questions. Please like and subscribe. It really helps us, especially since we're starting out. And if you guys have any comment, feedback, I mean, I hope that this week the sounds a little bit better. We had some uh, difficulties a few weeks ago, but we worked on it. I hope you guys enjoy the qualities there. And do you guys have any like parting words of wisdom for the fans? Uh, Thank you for your support. Make it a good trade or not, the choice is yours. 
<laughs> we love you guys. The choice is yours. Stay, stay healthy. <laughs> well, have yeah. a good trade week, guys. We'll see you next week. And please come back in droves. Bring a friend. We like we like it. Thank you. Bye, guys. <laughs>